Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Megan Gailey, Naomi Ek Perrigan, and Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer join to tackle the following questions. How does Donald Trump get away with being so aggressively stupid? How many male congressmen would it take to label a chart of the female anatomy? And why do we let some bad bosses off the hook, but demand accountability from others? All this and more, right now. Hey, everybody. We're doing news a little differently this morning because the storm on the East Coast knocked the electricity out in Alyssa Mastromonaco's town, her town, which means she can't join us today, but that she is even closer to her goal of living the Little House on the Prairie lifestyle, which is great. So if you want to congratulate her on this life's milestone, she's registered at the Butter Churn Emporium. Um, Okay. So today, (laughs) instead, we've got two special guests taking Alyssa's place and sticking around the whole episode. First up... She's an actor, writer, comedian, and co-host of the Couples Therapy Podcast. It's Naomi Ekparrigan. Hey! Ooh, it's been a minute. Erin, you look well. Thank you. You do too. You look great. Thank you so much. I am wearing Bare Minerals. <laughs> really? I had to. It was good. Hysteria. <laughs> I know. I mean, you can deduct it, right? <laughs> it's for work. True, true. Um, Next, she is a comedian, writer, and co-host of the podcast, The Greatest. It's Megan Gailey. Hi. After those intros, I realized Naomi and I both host podcasts with our significant others. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're both so codependent. (laughs) Oh, it's really... And I should remember, because I remember I asked you for advice. I was like, I'm about to start working with my husband. What do I do? And you were like, oh, boy. We need to get lunch. (laughs) Uh, well, between the three of us, we have enough podcasts to like feed a whole family for a month. Yeah, right. So that's yeah. good. Feed them in ten percent off coupons. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feed them with some codes mm-hmm. to, to get some mm-hmm. discounts. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I want to get into the news with you guys first. And this is going to be really fun. When I um, told my fiance's dad, who is a big fan of the show, that you both were going to do news with me this week. And he loves Alyssa, but he was so excited to hear you two on this. So, oh my guys. gosh, I love hey, that. Dad. I he, hey, dad. Hey, dad. I'll try ex- not to let you down like I did my real father. I just, <laughs> I can't believe all of these Steelers fans are creeping into my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you guys watched the Jonathan Swan Axios interview with President Trump, correct? Yes. As much as okay. I could manage. I'm not going to lie to you, honey. I got to do that <laughs> shit and fucking, I have to microdose. I got to microdose that crazy. Yeah. Well, you'd watch it and then like the chaser is all of the fun videos that have been made. I just saw one of Trump interviewing Trump. Mm-hmm. Like they cut it where he's talking to himself and arguing the Veep music, Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> music. Like I've seen the original and the remixes now. That's good. Wow. Yeah. It's a very memeable interview for sure. And when I was watching it, I was really shocked that first of all, like I thought Jonathan Swan did a great job. Um, But after the interview, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if he would treat other interviewers the same. And writer Julia Ioff tweeted something that I think a lot of people were thinking. And she tweeted, people are rightly giving Jonathan Swan his due for a stellar interview. He did a great effing job. But I wonder if Trump would have tolerated this kind of pushback with facts from, say, Yamiche Alcindor or Caitlin Collins, or if he would have sat down with them for this long. So, Naomi, if Jonathan Swan were a woman or a non-white person, do you think the interview would have gone on for as long as it did? What do you think would have happened? No way. First of all, he wouldn't have sat down. He would not have sat down with that person. And the moment that person, it it would have been like, you're not listening to me, so I'm leaving. Like, that would have been it. The first sign of pushback. It's so obvious and unsurprising. I mean, I will say in a way, I am surprised that he even stayed as long as he did. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because... Swan is a younger gentleman and he's an attractive gentleman. That's not me trying to get some, but I believe in the president's mind, like the men, he doesn't allow men around who like are taller than him or prettier than him. Like he doesn't, he really does not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm even surprised he talked to cutie little Swan for that long. (laughs) Um, So, Megan, some people are comparing this interview with Katie Couric, Sarah Palin's interview from 2008, where she couldn't name a magazine Mm -hmm. and said her foreign policy experience was because she could see Russia from some parts of Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you take a look at what Trump did in the interview, it was like way fucking dumber than anything Sarah Palin said in 2008. So why do you think Trump gets away with being so fucking dumb? Well, because I think the people that like him are dumb. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of a circle of dumb. <laughs> the whole time I was watching it, like, I don't think he would have sat down and done that interview with someone who wasn't British. Yeah. OG colonizer. He's Australian. Still colony, honey. Commonwealth. Honestly, yeah. sure, sure, sure. whatever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Like, he doesn't like accents that come from places where people could be of a different color or background. Right. Mm-hmm. He's stupid enough that he hears an accent like a British, Australian, New Zealand, and he's like, oh, they must be smart. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even last night I was watching the terrible, really sad Beirut coverage, and Trump 
said that it was an attack, called it an attack. And it, and it wasn't, it was, it was a terrible tragedy that happened out of really, really bad circumstances, but it was not as far as we know, planned by an organization or person. And it just made me be like, think if anyone else had called something an attack that wasn't an attack. Like the Palin comparison is sad because that was a woman who was not equipped for a job. I think we can all admit that. And a lot of people mark her getting the nomination as a really sad turning point for the GOP in general when they sort of went this weird road that they're on now. Mm -hmm. But no one died because of her saying dumb things. Like, we are now in the midst of 160 plus thousand people dying and he still doesn't get it. So like the Palin Katie Couric thing was kind of in some ways funny. Mm -hmm. Cause there were no stakes. Cause there were no stakes yet. There were, there no, were no stakes, stakes yet. The, right. Yeah. The, the highest the stake was, was maybe John McCain will win and maybe he'll die. And then this woman will get it. Like we were steps away mm -hmm. and now we're fully entrenched in like a disaster. Hell in hell. Yeah. in a true in a hell hellfire. <laughs> there is no comparison. There really is not a comparison unless Hitler sat down and did some sort of fun interview with an American journalist during World War II that I'm not aware of. <laughs> it's like, I would love to have Katie Kirk interviewing Sarah Palin again. That was a fun, that was a fun <laughs> time at least. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like you're right. The stakes are higher. And so this is sort of funny, but it's also sort of extremely not funny. I was thinking, you know, on the point that we we're talking about like double standards it's like women are held to standards mm -hmm. and you know people who are not white guys are held to standards and dumb white guys like donald trump are held to no standards it's like mm -hmm. instead of making it so that women should be able to get away or people of color should be able to get away with the shit that he gets away with it should just be that nobody gets away with that shit anymore exactly mm -hmm. exactly I, but don't you think some of it too is like it's a bit of stockholm syndrome it's denial it's stockholm syndrome it's doubling down because the fact is he has always shown us who he was. Mm -hmm. And I think it is what Megan is saying. You know, it's the circle of dawn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that is the only thing that could allow that to take a hold. And literally, mm -hmm. I mean hold. I, Henny, we are in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay? We, as a nation, America is in an abusive relationship right now. Okay? He has taken the keys to our car. Mm. And we are stuck in the house. Wow. And it's burning down. Oh, my God. Yeah, I this said is it. full get out. This is full get out. This is the Penny. third act of get out. It is. Wow. It is. And I'll say it again. Don't you at me. No, no, no. <laughs> when women, really anybody but white men challenge him, he has this thing of like, you're being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. You're disrespecting me and you're disrespecting the office. And there used to be this, this idea, even people I hated, they liked the idea of having an intellectual debate and spar with someone. And Trump does not. Like, I don't think he leaves that interview and is like, he asks good questions or I'm, I'm glad I got my point across. I think he eventually gets to a point where if anyone questions him on anything, they are against him and evil and disrespectful to the entire country. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. <sighs> Okay, let's move on to uh, issue number two, because I could rant about this all day. So this week, college students are going back to class mm -hmm. and college athletes are going back to class 
they've been practicing all summer. A lot of times now they're going to be around a lot more people in enclosed spaces. People who work at those colleges and universities are going to have to go back to work in those kind of unsafe environments. People who are adjunct professors who don't even get health insurance through universities are having to go back to work into this unsafe thing where they might get sick and then not be able to pay for their own health care. Naomi, I want to start with you. Um, So if colleges and universities are supposedly like the seats of American intellectualism, then why are they so (laughs) fucking dumb about this? Mm. Because like everything, honey... It's fueled by capitalism. (laughs) And so they want that tuition. They want those tuition dollars. But what they don't seem to understand, you know, we're starting to see in Los Angeles, families of people who have died from COVID are starting to sue employers. If a university cannot provide um, meaningful, measurable protocols to keep people safe, and then people take ill, die at worst, in the long run, aren't they going to lose more money? Like, I'm not really getting... Like, people don't seem to think past, like, cashing that first check, mm-hmm. you know? They're, like, trying to trying to get their first semester money, and it seems like it's just, it's not making any sense. It's just about money. You know, the thing is, I think, you know, Republicans have been pushing pretty hard to get liability reform through as part of the uh, COVID relief package. Mm-hmm. Their main priority is, like, protecting employers from getting sued after they expose people to bad situations. So maybe colleges and universities know something we don't, and they're banking <laughs> on Republicans getting their way here. Um, Megan, so, you know, colleges are reopening. Uh, people are going to be living in dorms in a lot of cases. Oh, good call. Um, but the colleges insist there's going to be safety precautions and only class a couple times a week. But we all know that extracurricular stuff takes place at colleges, partying, partying, and partying. <laughs> I lost my virginity freshman year. Right. I was cohorting. Co- you know, I was having extracurriculars. I got a 3-7 for a semester. I was on it, but yeah. Right. Um, well, Megan, do you think that college students are capable of observing social distancing? Do you think they're actually going to do it? No, 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 no. I, I, no, no. I actually think the reason that so many college kids want to go back to school is because they will not be under the watchful eye of their parent or whoever's house they're living in. So when they're at college, it's like full free reign. I mean, you, I live near a college campus that I can walk to and and it's been closed down but then you see flip club tournaments and <laughs> and I'm telling this this is a private expensive school these are not frat boys these are like PhDs these kids these want to grow kids. yes these are PhDs <laughs> I mean these are I don't even know the SAT scale now but these are high scores okay <laughs> you know I've actually been really, really thoroughly impressed and have been given some restored hope by seeing how college athletes have responded. The Pac-12, a giant group of football players and athletes at whole came out and had a really rigorous set of demands that they were like, if you don't do this, we're not gonna play. Like we... And, and and that's something that, as Naomi mentioned, that's tied to capitalism. You are, Schools are losing money because of sports. And now we know how much money they make from sports. And with athletes, they now have the power that they've never had. The dynamic has shifted. These have been indentured 
servitude positions that we have sent young people in to throw their bodies around for the benefit of the SEC. And now those players are saying, we're not going to play for you and you don't have any money if we don't play for you. And so Black Lives Matter has obviously factored into some of that power dynamic shifting and that becoming a mainstream ideological system. Mm-hmm. But the the Big Ten, I was just reading demands that they came out with and someone's response to it was like, you know who's really going to suffer at the end of the day is these players. They're going to lose out on millions. It's like, motherfucker, they don't get paid anything. All they have, <laughs> all they have is their health and their future. That is what they are banking on. So if they get injured, they're not going to the NFL. If they get sick, they're not going to the NFL. If they get someone else in their family sick, that this disease is so trickle down and so bad that presidents of colleges, they're not like principals. Right. They're businessmen, basically. They're CEOs of companies. And and so their thought is, how do I make the board of directors and the bottom line happy? And players, they're people and they're, and they're students. And they also have stakes in their future and being able to be healthy enough to advance their playing career that they're kind of the only ones being like, hey, stop. And universities in some ways are going to have to listen to them. Well, I think that's the thing. I think the big, like when you say athletes are stepping up, it's because I think they of everyone value, they value their bodies. Uh-huh. And also because the thing is, because so much of the information surrounding the cocoa in the beginning, made young people think they were impervious, mm-hmm. that there's still that feeling in your head that may, may, I think maybe young people think, oh, I can get it, but they think I can beat it. They think it's not a big deal. Except for, I think, you know, it's, and then also, as you say, you know, this is tied to Black Lives Matter, when we also know that Black people are disproportionately hit by the worst symptoms and, you know, dying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of the worst yeah. at all times. And so... But then I think, no way can they social distance. Isn't the whole point of college not to distance? Like, literally, college is about being horny and sometimes reading a book. (laughs) I mean, right? Meningitis. Like, there's, like, diseases that are only on college campuses because college kids are so on top of each other (laughs) and showering and kissing. And, you know, like, you have to get a fresh set of vaccines before you go to college. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, who knows what you're off to do? You can't be six feet apart. I remember my freshman dorm room. I wasn't six feet apart from anybody. Like, those beds were, like, four feet apart at best. So we just up in there Mm -hmm. exchanging particles. Side by side in our mm-hmm. twin beds. The the equivalent of cleaning in college is flipping a futon mattress over. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to end well. And it seems like you, we were saying earlier, Naomi, I think this is you that was saying like it's very short-sighted because what they could do is take precautions and be sensible and be like, you know what? This year's kind of a wash. We're going to lose a bunch of money, just cancel a bunch of stuff. Or they could do the stupid thing, which is – really not take enough precautions at all and then they lose even more money and they look bad Mm -hmm. it almost seems like big industries are trying to get the worst of both worlds and Mm -hmm. i mean i hope for the sake of the health of people that are involved in colleges especially people who work there and people that are being compelled to go back to class when maybe they're concerned about getting sick themselves like i hope for their sake that i'm wrong but i don't think that i'm wrong here this is not this isn't going to be great. Mm-mm. Nope. I think college is a is a bubble. 
um, just like the housing market is a bubble. And I think we're watching it torpedo towards its own burst. And they they brought this upon themselves. Yeah, maybe it's time. I mean, I think it is. I think it's it's probably 60 time. grand a year to put everybody in danger. Fuck off. Yeah. I'll stay home <laughs> and buy a G-Wagon. I won't. But, you know, like, wait, what's, are a, you G- crazy? what's a G-Wagon? It's the really boxy um, Mercedes, and then there's like the G wagon, G wagon. You know, to me, it's it's the symbol of like extreme wealth. That's how that's that's how little that's how little money I have. That like a boxy. When I see a boxy G wagon, I'm like, there's a sultan inside of it. <laughs> Okay, ladies, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, I have another interview with another congresswoman that you guys are going to want to hear from. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today. She is the representative from Iowa's first congressional district. She's a Democrat who is also the second youngest woman ever elected to the House of Representatives. Please welcome Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer. Welcome. Hi there, and happy to join you today and talk about something really, really important to me. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I was so interested when we were first working on scheduling you because this issue is something that's so important to so many women, and it's great that we finally have women in a position to do something about it. So let's talk about the House Endometriosis Caucus and what you guys have been up to. Can you Tell us about the issue, why it's important to you, and what just happened last week. What's your big news? Do we have all day? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to do the Cliff Notes version. But back in March, I decided to share my own personal story with endometriosis uh, for the first time ever publicly. And I also happened to have done that on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, where I described to my colleagues and to my district and to the country about what endometriosis is, um, which is a condition where the lining of your uterus can actually go outside of your uterus and um, can attach to different things and cause pain. That's kind of, again, the Cliff Notes um, easy version of it. Um, but there are different stages of it, different severities of it. Um, but anyway, this is a condition that I've known about that I've had since I was 18. Um, I was actually one of the lucky ones who found out very early. Um, 18 is considered early, even though I really started having pain when I was about 12. Um, But I had a mom who believed my pain and knew that what I was experiencing wasn't just the normal course of being a woman, that this was extraordinarily different than what she was experiencing or what my sister was experiencing and kept taking me to doctors after doctors until finally they did a laparoscope where um, they do little incisions. It's a whole surgery where you have to go under uh, anesthesia. Um, But it's really the only way that they have had to diagnose endometriosis. And so I had that at 18. And that is when they found out I had it. I had another laparoscope after that. And, you know, again, I've been one of the lucky ones. One, it hasn't been as severe as for me as it has been for other women that have this. And two, found out early and knew what it was, right? There are a lot of women who go decades without even knowing. So anyway, here I've had this my whole adult life and even as a teenager. 
And I was actually in the state house before I was in Congress. And I, I was there for four years, never shared it. Although, of course, I had some bad days where, you know, I'd be outdoor knocking all day. And at the end of the day, um, would be in bed and it would be, you know, I'd be with a heating pad and, and it would be extraordinarily uh, tough, but I'd still, you know, it, I kind of didn't have an option but to keep going. Um, I remember actually my first state house race when I was running in my primary. Um, I knew my opponent did not have ovaries. <laughs> and so I, I was like, well, I, uh, I, I just, I guess I have to keep going, but it is not that easy. Um, you know, and, and I know there are so many women across the country who, again, have this even more severe and have different stages of it where sometimes their only option is to drop out of the workforce because it, it gets that bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and anyway, I share this story and the reason I do it is because I found out that one in 10 women have endometriosis. Seven million women in the United States have endometriosis. And yet it is one of the least funded conditions by the National Institute of Health. Um, it was historically given between single digit numbers to the teens um, in, in millions when it came to that funding. And I decided to launch a bipartisan caucus and not just launch the caucus to raise awareness, which was important, but also say, we're gonna get more funding and we're gonna find more answers. And that is what we decided to do in March. And happy to say last week, uh, was able to pass an amendment that doubled that funding and hopefully Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. You know, when I was reading about this, I mean, yeah. I feel like most women are familiar with what it is or they know somebody who has it or they have mm -hmm. it or their sister yeah. or their, you know, their friend has it, something like that. Do you think that the reason that it's been so neglected for so long is because only women suffer from this? Well, that obviously crosses your mind, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at uh, the fact that we've known about this condition since the 1920s, and that again, one in 10 women have it. And that I think is a conservative estimate. I think there are a lot mm -hmm. more women who don't even know they have it and are just told their pain is normal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, when you look at women's health, it is traditionally underfunded. It is complicated. But that's also why it needs more funding, because every woman is different. And so, yeah, I think that is a big piece of it. And I also think up until this year, we have never had a chairwoman of appropriations and also a ranking member who was also a woman. And then we also had a woman who chaired the subcommittee where this funding went through. Um, and so it was, I would say, a, a more friendly Congress to have these types of discussions and start raising these issues. Mm -hmm. So this is a question that I've had for a long time. And if you don't care to answer, that's okay. I just mainly want to make the joke. Um, how many of your male colleagues do you think, if you just gave them a blank chart of the female reproductive system, could successfully label where everything goes. Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends on how, how great they did in anatomy in high school. I, you know, um, but it is interesting though. Um, you know, my caucus that I started, we actually do have a lot of men. So a lot of young men, some of the newer members that just got elected, because when I decided to share my story, um, I had people uh, like Congressman Allred who said, you know, his best friend has it. Hmm. Or um, even, you know, another congressman telling me his wife has it or his daughter has it. And so that's also been kind of extraordinary um, to see, it, it, you know, finally, you know, men of all ages kind of stepping up as well and realizing that they should be paying attention to this because it doesn't just affect 
affect women who have this. It affects the um, folks who love the women who have this. Mm -hmm. And I I think that is something that's really important here. Mm -hmm. So the amendment has passed the House. I'm curious, it sounds like you had a lot of bipartisan support for this because this is something that affects people regardless of their political affiliation. Yep. What has your colleagues' reaction been? The the people that didn't join the caucus, what has the reaction been generally? Honestly, really supportive. Um, The fact we were able to get this amendment done, um, I know originally it was just going to be called a significant increase and wasn't specifically doubling it. And uh, for me, that wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't just going to take the word significant. I wanted to make sure the funding was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had to work even harder to make sure that that was there. And but we did have, you know, uh, a lot of people responding and wanting to figure out how to make that happen. And that to me says a lot again about who is in these positions of power and who is making these decisions. And it's people that, I mean, uh, Congresswoman DeLauro, who chairs that subcommittee, uh, she had ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be able to go to her and talk about women's health, she understood it in a way that um, very few people do, Mm -hmm. um, which was really helpful. Mm -hmm. That's great. Has there been any negative reaction? Honestly, I truly haven't seen it. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Yes, my main focus in Congress is going to continue to be um, it's it's fighting for a lot of the stuff that people don't necessarily find tweet worthy or exciting, but it's the stuff that shows up in a very big way in my district, uh, like fighting for better infrastructure funding, roads and bridges that have been neglected and I'll continue to do that. Um, also, I mean, our rural hospitals having what they need, that type of stuff, right? These are in childcare, things that I work on every day. We are continuing to work on, especially also during the pandemic as well. So it's not as though I haven't continued to work on all the other things. Um, I just now have also added this <laughs> to the plate as well. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been the, the reaction to the contrary has been kind of extraordinary and very humbling, mm-hmm. especially from some women I've heard from are in their 70s who talked about the fact that they suffered with it their entire life and didn't find out even some of them until they were 50 mm-hmm. that this is what was going on or why they possibly couldn't have children or some um, who are in their 60s, who told me that they had a hysterectomy in their 20s mm-hmm. because that's what they were told was the care for it, which there are other options, but there's, I, I'll be frank, there's not a lot of great options right now. There has to be more, and there has to be options that are equitable as well, um, which is another thing that our caucus is going to focus on. Mm-hmm. And by equitable, you mean like taking into consideration the fact that the pain of women of color isn't taken as seriously by medical professionals and the fact that a lot of times black women especially have poor health outcomes when it comes to reproductive health? Absolutely. Um, And then on top of that, it's even going even further and making sure that some of the options that are out there are actually accessible to women of all incomes and no matter where they live in the country as well. Um, There are some better surgeries out there. Um, Excision surgery is one of them um, that is very highly specialized. There are few people that can do it and most insurances don't cover it. And so you have some women who are in certain income brackets who are able to get that surgery and many others don't even know it's an option. Mm -hmm. And so there's also that that we have to work on as well of what's even covered in the first place. And then also just getting information out there. And yes, 
putting power in women's hands to advocate. I mean, it's sad that we have to do this, but advocate for yourself with your doctor Mm -hmm. and know that your pain is real and that it is not normal to have the pain that folks with endometriosis experience every day. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a huge piece of it. That's awesome. So where can people who are experiencing symptoms of endometriosis go for resources, support, and information? Oh, there's a lot out there, actually, finally. Um, uh, Where I went originally and how I actually found out all of the information, which I was surprised I didn't know. Again, I had this since I was 18, and it wasn't until... Um, February, where I was about to fly home. Um, I had a very short weekend home and I was in so much pain. Uh, I was kind of doubled over on my bed and I was like, how am I going to sit in an airport for eight hours? Because there were delays happening as well in Charlotte. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is going to be fun. So I sat there and I started Googling hysterectomies. Uh, because that's how bad I felt and I didn't know what else was out there. And I just thought, well, just take everything. And I was, you know, about to get married, all of the things, want to have kids. And that's what I was looking at. Um, and when I was doing that, I ended up finding, uh, the endometriosis, uh, foundation of America mm-hmm. and, I found a lot of stats, and that's where I realized that there were one in 10 women have it, 7 million women. That's where I realized it was underfunded, and that's also the moment where I said I was sure as heck going to do something about it. So they're a really good resource. Endo What is another one as well. There's a bunch of different ones. We've been doing um, the hashtag we've been trying to use to really kind of create a community here is hashtag up endo because we're really trying to up endo awareness, mm-hmm. up endo research, and up endo funding for that research as well. Um, and so that's a, if you type in the hashtag up endo um, on Twitter or Facebook, you'll also see some different resources and also women sharing their stories, which I hope for the women who have this or may have heard their pain described for the first time. So you know you are not alone. This can be a very isolating condition because it's not something Mm -hmm. talked about often. So hashtag up endo is a great place to go and endometriosis foundation of America as well. That's great. Well, I hope that there continues to be more resources for people suffering from endometriosis. And Abby, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm sure it'll be beautiful, and I'm sure I'll see the pictures on Instagram afterwards. Representative Abby Finkenauer, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Erin. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, Naomi and Megan are back. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, 
You got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay, we're back. I've got the same crew I've had since the beginning. I've got Megan and Naomi and me. And we're going to talk a little bit about something that isn't Donald Trump talking to Jonathan Swan, and it isn't college campuses opening up too soon. It's another thing that kind of sucks, though. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about when female bosses are bad bosses. And the reason we're going to talk about that this week is because um, stories have been coming out about how Ellen DeGeneres appears to have been a pretty bad boss for a very long time, assembled a team of sub-bosses that were also very bad, and now there's been sort of a public reckoning. Megan, I'll start with you. What was your reaction to the Ellen story, and had you heard rumors of her being someone that was tough to work for? Yeah, I heard back. I mean, that's what's like kind of fun about being in show business, you know. Um, <laughs> there's nothing you can do, but you know, <laughs> you know. Um, so I remember hearing about this back when I still lived in Chicago. So that was at least six years ago. And someone that I was opening for worked for a different show and was like, my boss is a little cookie, but you know who's really the worst. And of course, I had that, you know, middle of the country mom, no, (laughs) it can't be. And then once you know it, it really, it's like the Truman show. Mm -hmm. Like you see everything because then it really is a not quietly held secret within showbiz that she is a terrible person to work for and and then you would hear more specific stories and and the story started to get closer like it was a friend of a friend that these things happened to and yeah it really kind of felt like a louis situation where that new york times article broke and i was like yeah i know people he's done that too and and people were like what And I mean, yeah, it it kind of goes to show how powerless a lot of people are when there are these rumors, too, of like, what what do you do? And and what's eventually going to be something that like breaks the dam? Mm -hmm. And in this case, I I think it was an article and then in a bunch of Twitter threads and and just sort of like a social awakening that we're all going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, we all three run in similar circles and we all three probably are privy to similar rumors. Without naming names, I'm going to say that I I know of another host of a show that went through a period of time several years ago, a few years ago, 
where he was like a danger to people mm. uh, at his show. And I think you guys know who I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. it seems like the place that employed him did everything that they could to keep under wraps how out of control his demons were. Mm-hmm. And he seems to have moved past it. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know people who have worked for this person. And mm-hmm. this person has, you know, done crazy shit. But this person, even when there were rumors that kind of broke through into the mainstream about him, there was never like a groundswell to get him fired. Right. Even though what he was doing was a different form of being a shitty boss. Naomi, do you think that there's something at all gendered in the Ellen backlash? Or is it another situation where it should be that men are held to standards? Do you know what I mean? It like makes it a little bit more complicated. But what do you see when you look at it? I don't think it is particularly gendered in the case of Ellen. However, I do, as you said, I do think women are held to a higher standard. I think any marginalized group is expected to be perfect, you know, model minority in all, you know, minority groups. So don't get me wrong. But I think what you are getting is this is somebody whose entire persona, her millions of dollars are built on dancing and smiling. Mm -hmm. She is supposed to be like this nice ray of light, you know, bringing us viral video children, (laughs) like making us happy. And then to know that that is a facade. Mm -hmm. I think that's what people are really kind of honing in on. I think that's why it's particularly harsh with her. Because it's like you presented yourself as like everybody's like sexless aunt. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now it's like you were mean. But I, you know, with Megan too, like was well aware of that. And I almost wonder if that's part of why she was so much worse. You know, when you have to kind of give the rest of the world this like shiny happy show. You know, when the cameras are off, you ain't got nothing left for nobody else. And that includes the people who work for you. But I will say another thing, honey, I'm not done yet. What I think is fucked is, you know, again, it's not just Ellen. It's the bosses under her, right? The EPs. Mm -hmm. And those were all men. Mm -hmm. At least the people that we've heard the complaints about. So I don't know if there were other female EPs. Mm -hmm. But there's something to me where I'm like, why didn't you have other women in those positions? And maybe some of that stuff wouldn't have happened. Slash, it probably wouldn't have. You know, I don't think another female would have been able to... Ask for oral sex. <laughs> Thank you. Or like grab people's packages or pointed yeah. bulges. I do think there is kind of an underlying root of the issue that is gendered. Mm-hmm. And it's that when you look at the landscape of people that are allowed to host shows, yes. women are such a small fraction of that. Uh, I've had a dream of having my own show my whole life. You know that. And, and so people will tell you like... When your name is on a show, it is the most pressure. It is the highest stakes. It's really, really, really difficult. And in situations like that, there are people that do not handle it well. Right. And sadly, the one woman that we've allowed to do that in the landscape did not handle it well. Actually handled it in a really toxic way. And we sadly, we don't have anyone else to look at. We have Oprah. Um, you know, we have Rosie. Oprah, who was a dream boss, apparently. Sure. She was supposedly just like a dream. Of course she was. I was reading about, Ro- they say Rosie was a great boss. Like, it- it's just really sad because now it's like, are women bad? And it's like, well, you haven't given us, we don't have a sample size large enough to even decide that. Like, let me be a boss. That's I'd be fun. fun. That shouldn't even be a question. The right. idea that are women bad? Like, that's the part that's unfair. That's the part that's gendered. That one woman is a terrible boss, and now the entire gender is questioned. You know, that is yeah. the part that sucks. Mm-hmm. It's true. I think female CEOs, they get so much more flack mm-hmm. whenever something does come out badly about them. You know, like, the woman who I remember the most is the Thinks panties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when she was dragged a couple years ago. And how that was so terrible, 
But at the same time, I think, again, it goes to the um, persona you are portraying. For me, it is not simply that these are female bosses, but in so many of these newer instances, these are female bosses whose entire brand was female empowerment, Mm -hmm. female community, women lifting themselves up, taking away the stigma around so many, you know, women's bodies, women's, you know, experiences, so that then when I find out you trash, it's extra bad. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Letterman, it's like Letterman was, he would be rude to guess, like in a way that I think is very funny. Um, <laughs> but, and so, and, you know, and then when you find out there was sometimes a grooming process that would happen with young women who worked there, you're just like, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. You know, like he, he, he had a kid with someone on the staff. Right. Like, right. He's, he seems rude and crotchety. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> One thing that I think is a red flag, and Naomi, you brought this up, but, you know, all of the people underneath Ellen seem like they were men, like her head writers and her EPs. And I think it's a bad sign when there's somebody who is a first of something um, who doesn't reach back and you know, keep the door open. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if you're I mean, this is maybe putting too much pressure on people who are kind of you know firsts, um, but I feel like it's a bad sign if you are riding your firstness and being like, I'm the first woman. I'm the, you know, I'm the this. I'm fighting for equality. And then you actually aren't really fighting for equality. You were just fighting for a show for yourself. And all of the people you're giving important jobs to are people that are just like everybody else who's getting Mm -hmm. these jobs. Well, especially now, because I think in the beginning of Ellen, right? Because you know how people tell you whenever you start something, you know, as I've worked on projects where it's like, you, because I may be less experienced, they then want to surround me with more experienced people. And then because of the way the system works, a lot of those more experienced people are men. Mm-hmm. And early on, you may not want to push back because you're like, okay, someone gave me a show. Let's not say something. But Ellen has been on how many years? Mm-hmm. Those guys could be gone. Like she could be, she could mm-hmm. be literally, she could have graduates of the Ellen DeGeneres program for producing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it start and like so it doesn't have to stay that way. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's the thing that like kills me the most it's if you're right because i do it's it's a tricky balance as you said it's like pressure on the first to then lift everybody else up but i will definitely say you know it's like i've been in situations or had experiences where i did feel like i don't know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and whereas maybe some other people would have said i don't know what i'm doing and i'm running things Mm -hmm. i tend to be like who wants to help me yeah who can kind of fix it I'm someone who suffers from imposter syndrome, yes, at, yes. It, which is like a, I, I'm sure it happens out in the rest of the world. I think it's like really bad in Hollywood sometimes. And people have told me like, oh, if you have imposter syndrome, you're good. Yeah. Like it's the people that don't have imposter <laughs> syndrome that are just like, I'll write a movie tonight. And it's like, nope, you can't do that. You're not going to be able to write a movie tonight. I don't know. Never underestimate the high grade levels of cocaine that go through LA. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, have you ever had experiences with female bosses who were sort of, like, bad in a way that was specifically disappointing? And, like, what was your experience with that? Um, I, Like, <laughs> I feel really lucky to say this. I have had female bosses that were incredible. Um, and that is, I worked at a retirement community, and I had a female boss who was so supportive of me within that community and then also pursuing a, like a job outside of that, which was stand up. I've worked for female showrunners. I've had female EPs, like within every industry, I worked at a distribution center and my boss was female. And (laughs) my experience across the board has been loving, supportive, 
helpful, interested. Like sometimes I look back on that and I feel so lucky, but I don't know if I am the exception. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. How about you, Naomi? No, I haven't had any. I've had female bosses, but I've never had them be... Um, you know, I always hoped when I was like working with a female, I was like, ooh, my mentor maybe, you know? And that <laughs> never happened. But also I will say most none of my bosses have been black, mm-hmm. which is its own issue, you know? And so I do wonder if, you know, so, so much of mentorship, I think in any field, is somebody seeing them in you, mm-hmm. seeing themselves in you. You remind me of younger me. And my black ass don't be reminding them of nothing. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So it's like, maybe that's it. I don't know. I definitely feel like I've had... And I don't know Megan feeling like in the world of comedy because still there's so few women who are at that high level. I still feel like there is this, like, I got to get ahead. I got to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And they're not really trying to pull somebody up because they're afraid they're going to get, that person's going to push them out. Yeah. And then also like, for instance, like my boss boss who signed my checks was male. But then, you know, I have my supervisor. And I remember like I work with somebody where we were friends and both of us wanted out of the job. But again, she was my supervisor. So I was like, hey, will you give me a recommendation for this other job? Right? Because I'm trying to apply to other places, but I can't let the boss boss know. And she was like, no, I can't do that. That's not appropriate. Mm. And it was like one of those things where I felt like it, it felt like there was a certain psychological game that I felt like only a, a lady, a lady friend would play. Yeah. In the sense of like, I, yeah, you and I have talked about this. Like you were just trying to get out a month ago and you won't like let mm-hmm. me put you, like, put me, put you as a reference. Right. Cause they need to call somebody to prove I've worked mm-hmm. and she wouldn't let me do it. And I remember feeling like Ugh. that hurt me so bad. And that feeling of mm-hmm. you don't want me to leave this place if you're not going to leave, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. like it was one of those. And, you know, and that wasn't in this business. That wasn't in the, you know, this wasn't in the uh, the biz, the entertainment industry. You know, um, I worked as an editor at an art magazine. I've worked, uh, I was an actor with the National Theater of the Deaf. I have always, you know, loved to be a camp counselor and all those things. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you would be a dream camp counselor. I was a camp counselor too. You guys both. Oh no, Megan would be fun because she's like sporty and active. You know me, I go run around. <laughs> I go run around. I'll be over here. I was the theater director. I wasn't. Yes. The, and then like sometimes, sometimes I would go hit tennis balls with people. <laughs> but Naomi, you reminded me of an interesting thing because like your experience, I think has you would not want to do that to someone else. Right. Like if you had someone, and so I have had female bosses within the entertainment industry who have told me horror stories mm-hmm. about male and female bosses, but you can tell it, it for the women, it really shaped what do I want to make sure I don't do? Uh-huh. And so, you know, I've worked for very successful mothers and being with their children is something that really... Like being being to there to send them off to school and to greet them and to spend time like family really factors into how they lead, and and I I do think women are able to have bad things happen to them and say I'm not going to perpetuate that cycle that I didn't like, mm-hmm. and that just seems like something we're able to do at a higher level than men are able to do because you see men complain about shit that they do all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a generalization. But. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, all generalizations are, aren't are bad. Uh, yeah. I was going to say uh, I've experienced both sides of that. I've had female and male bosses who have treated their life experiences as learning experiences 
um, and decided to be better than the thing that made them the way they are. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that treat their life as like a hazing experience. And I'm mm-hmm. sub- I'm trying to get into the same fraternity that they're in. So I, I have to go through all the all the stuff they went through. Why sh- why should I get it even any easier? Mm-hmm. Why should I have somebody showing me how things are done? Because they didn't have anybody showing them how things are done. Um, in finance, I had a female boss who was a really like. It was sort of like I remember kind of making overtures like, hey, how about some how about some help? You know, and she was just it was very much like I had to learn it myself. You have to Mm -hmm. learn it yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was like this weird. It's like the same thought process that, you know, when they were talking about erasing canceling student debt, which should happen because Mm -hmm. it's absurd. But there was a lot of pushback from people who were like, yes. well, I had to pay my student yeah. loans. Yes, yes. And, and it's I like, feel, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, so if you got cancer. Should we all have cancer? And they came up with a <laughs> right. treatment, you wouldn't want anyone to right. have it because you had to have cancer? Like, it's ridiculous. I, I just also, think- Also, like, we'll buy you a hot tub. What do you want? <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> but, like, do you think it's generational, that notion? Because I will say, like, because isn't Ellen- like 60? Yes, that's one of that's actually one of the toxic secrets that came out as well. She's older than we thought. <laughs> well, I thought she was just based on like the career she had, but like, you know, so much of that and I think this also comes out a lot with female politicians where it's like, you know, it, when you really did come up at a time when it was a boys club, she's 62. Mm-hmm. 62. Honey, it was a different yeah. it was and not a different time to absolve, but a different time to illuminate. You know, I say that to say like mm-hmm. she probably thought you know, and, and to be a Southern lesbian, good Lord, the things she had to do. Mm-hmm. So maybe she kind of felt like if I want to be taken seriously, if I don't want people to take advantage of me, like I got to be tough. And then if my whole job is to make the world smile, well, honey, I can't look at you in the hallway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, feel, I mean, like I feel that on a small, like a small, small level. Like I know, for instance, when I've been in a writer's room all day, I would come home and I'd be like, Andy, I can't talk to you right now. Mm-hmm. Like just for like an hour where it's like the act of trying to be all jazzy and make jokes all day. When I get home, my partner, unfortunately, is the person who gets the brunt of like, let me have a meal and then we can get into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love him and treat him as a whole person. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> but I, I get a sense of what, how that could become pathological Mm -hmm. if I had millions of dollars and people had to do what I said. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like the, there's been memos that were released about like Steve Harvey. Don't look at him. JLo. You can't talk like if you're, but it's like, yeah, if you're, I I do understand if you're JLo and you're like at a restaurant, you don't want 70 people coming up to you. And it's, you had to draw a line in the sand. Is it a weird line in the sand? For sure. But, but that's different than people who work with you. I agree with you. Because like, if, yes. if my job is to, if these people's job is to make me look my best for literally one twentieth of what I get, mm-hmm. fucking smile in the hall. Mm-hmm. You, like yeah. that's a, like that's a, like that. Yeah. That's I, I again. I get it. I'm always weary. You know, I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> but like, if somebody's job was like, you just got to get over it. Or yeah. you know what? You do your show once a damn week, okay? Because if you can't mm-hmm. manage, cut it down. Cut it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's totally fair if you're doing something that is like a show where you have to have constant, you know, you're you're getting your head right. You're getting re- like, I think it'd be totally reasonable for a host to be like, after lunch, after our lunch pitch meeting or whatever, like, I just can't talk to anybody until after the show. Like, mm-hmm. that's totally fine with me. Like when I was uh, when I was doing CNN a lot, I would see Anderson Cooper because his show was like, right 
either at the same time or right after the show that I was on. And like he would not say a word, mm. but it was clear mm-hmm. that he was like in the zone getting ready. I never interpreted him just being kind of quiet as him being a jerk. It was just him kind mm-hmm. of focusing on his shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if you're somebody who's like, don't look at me in the hallway and people are interpreting it en masse as you being a jerk, then that's just, that's fucked. Yeah. That means you can't, that means you can't handle it, you know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so final question before we take a break. We've talked a little bit about how women tend to get more shit as bad bosses than equally bad bosses who are men. Mm-hmm. I think the ideal goal would be for there to be no bad bosses. But yes, <laughs> how do we eliminate bad male bosses when bad female bosses are the ones that get so much punishment? Mm. It's it's really that's a tough question. So much, so much of these type of stories come down to like the whistleblower mm-hmm. or like how they blow the whistle, and and it, yeah, like we're we, we're not rid of everybody. There's still <laughs> there's like even as we're going through this conversation, I'm like, oh, they're bad, they're bad, and oh yeah, I think in some ways there's more of a fear to speak out against men. I don't know if that's even based in reality, but. I love people that want to speak out about bad men and are paralyzed by not being able to. And I think that it feels like society as a whole will turn on a woman faster Mm -hmm. than we would be willing to turn on a beloved male host. That's what's tough too. Like we've seen people that can do it. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen people that are, have the most pressure, have the most asked of them and they are able to rise to that occasion and still be a kind person. And so it kind of fucks over the bad people where it's like, um, yeah, so once I was really nice and cool and in a way more important position than you and they're able to do it. If I were a late night host, I would be furious at Stephen Colbert. He's beloved. <laughs> yeah. Like I would be like, you goddamn nice jerk that everybody on your staff <laughs> loves. Make it impossible for me to be a bitch when I want to be one. Is there a way to have people like when you choose because we are we're all three acknowledging the stress of the job and the pressure, you know, of what it is to be um, available for public consumption kind of 24 seven. Is there a way to like require these people go to therapy? (laughs) And I don't even mean just the entertainment people. I also mean these like CEOs, you know, the thing I notice a lot in the at least again, the creative profession I'm in. A lot of this comes down to if you are very good creatively, you probably don't have the people skills. Part of being good enough to be able to like create, like write, as you say, write a fucking script in a day or like do whatever is like, mm-hmm. honey, you ain't learned to share and talk to people. You didn't learn to delegate. <laughs> you didn't get the basics. And like, you know, when we talk about diversity and inclusion training, like it could, there should also be like interpersonal communication training. Mm-hmm. Well, like, you know, in addition to all that. And then also mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know if it happens in real life, probably not, but I hear, I see on TV shows, like when a cop kills someone, you know, in the line of duty, they have to like go to like the cop therapist, you know, and like talk about it a couple times. Mm-hmm. That happens on TV. Like maybe <laughs> yeah. that should happen in real life. Like where it's like, you got to just go to somebody when you do some fuck, like, okay, let's unpack this. Or like you witness someone say something crazy. Let's look at how you should have responded mm-hmm. versus how you did respond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about corporations and networks and studios that have millions and billions of dollars, they can have an in-house therapist. Mm-hmm. They just can't. They can have an in-house shrink that handles some of these people's issues, quite frankly. I know I say therapy is the answer for everything. <laughs> of course, it depends on the therapist. But there's got to be there's gotta be something because 
too few people like lack empathy. And when we, again, back to capitalism, it's all about pulling yourself up and getting yourself ahead. It doesn't breed empathy or realizing the impact of what you say. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Well, I think that's interesting. The mental health component of being a good boss or a good leader and I've never worked in a place that had just like a room that could be used for like meditation or just being alone for 10 minutes. That would be nice to have a a, mm-hmm. a therapist available or if therapy isn't your jam, a place you can go meditate or if you are someone who prays where you could just kind of pray quietly, something like that. Because I I think that, you know, the hurt people hurt people thing yeah. applies to being a boss or being a leader. And, and unless the cycle is stopped, It'll just continue. Mm-hmm. My dream, if I'm ever like a showrunner, if I'm in charge, one day a week we'll start work at 11 a.m. And the hope is that that extra two hours is when everybody can go to their therapist. You know what I mean? Like one mm-hmm. late morning, mm-hmm. honey, everyone handle your scandal. Come in, honey. <laughs> if we can't all make it like all on the same day, maybe they're like each person can be like, okay, this is the day I come in at 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like we all know like maybe it's just like one. Honey, that's my dream. That's my dream. It would be on Thursday. Yeah. And everyone would get their head right. Oh, Thursday's a good... I mean, what's really wild, too, is that, like, everything you're describing is in the NBA bubble. Um, (laughs) And I only bring that up to be like, well, yeah, those those employees are worth hundreds of millions of dollars to their bosses and their organization. And so when there is value put into employees' worth then there are things to keep them well. And if there's not value input in the employee's worth, there is nothing to keep them well. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. I think if if your workplace isn't giving you space to go to your therapist or to, you know, sit alone and pray and meditate, Mm -hmm. I found that a really good stopgap if I'm about to lose my temper is to just remind myself to take a few deep breaths and just – chill out or if I find myself acting whack just like take <laughs> step out step out for a second and take a few deep breaths and then make amends if necessary and carry on my day not being whack um but you know there we obviously have a have a long way to go okay um any final thoughts about oh guys I want to congratulate us first of all we made it all the way through this segment without saying the word girl boss once. Oh, Bless wow. you both. Wow, wow, wow. That is the worst word in the world. And it, it's, I don't believe in capital punishment except for people who use the, the word girl boss. I truly think capital punishment should be there. Um, any final thoughts about why somebody like Ellen was like a huge scandal and how we can move past this into like a better boss situation. Naomi, you kind of gave your final thought about your dream workplace and I will 100% write for you when you run your own show Perfect. if there's space for me. Um, Perfect. Great. Um, but Megan, how, how do you think that like workplaces can foster better behavior from people in charge? Give more women opportunities and have actual checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Like there is HR. What's going on? <laughs> like there, there should be a safe way for people to make complaints, and there should be actual consequences and suggestions and things that happen. And if no one should be too powerful, like 
Ellen, yeah, you're raising money. You're not curing anything. Right. Okay. So we're, we'll go on without you. We'll go on without all of you. Right. All of you. Right. We'll be fine. Um, no one is bigger than treating their staff with human dignity. Mm-hmm. 62 is retirement age in some communities. Yeah. So maybe, mm-hmm. honey, you can sit down. You certainly have enough money to do so. Do you know Portia Dorosti's real name is like Amanda? Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. Sent what? You. Sent you. I know. You, were, you I couldn't. Know. You couldn't. I know you couldn't. That is <laughs> shocking. I that know. is like, I know. wow, wow. Yeah. This is, I'm going to need to take a walk. After <laughs> I know. Um, okay, Megan, Naomi, thanks for having this great convo with me. Let's take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Okay, we're back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not before we take really petty stances about things that don't really matter that much. It is, I feel petty. Um, I'm going to start today. I guess it's not petty because it's not negative, but it is a small thing that I feel very strongly about. I think we really need to increase the amount of Baba Yaga education of children in America. (laughs) Baba Yaga is a witch in Russian folklore who eats children and lives in a house that has legs that are chicken legs. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I had a book that had a story about the Baba Yaga in it. And it was the scariest, like delightfully scariest thing I'd ever read. And I told my my four-year-old nephew about the Baba Yaga because I want him and his mom to dress like the Baba Yaga and her chicken house for Halloween. <laughs> I want my sister to be the chicken. Like, anyway, I'm I'm working it. But I told him about the Baba Yaga, and he was like, "Oh my god!" His brain was like totally blown, and um, he was still bringing it up several days later to my sister. <laughs> I just think we need to tell more kids about the Baba Yaga. She's yeah. one of the scariest folk monsters, and we can all use like something besides invisible pandemic to be scared of. You know, like we know Bob Yaga's fake. It's fun to be scared of a fake thing as opposed to all the real things we should be scared of. So increase Bob Yaga education in America's children. <laughs> That's what I feel. Any relation about. to the Baba Duke? No. <laughs> I feel like yes. Linguistically, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Um, but that's a great question. Maybe they're cousins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they feel that that family tree feels close. <laughs> the, the Baba fam. Uh, yeah. ba- Baba Duke is Baba Yaga's gay nephew that she's very <laughs> proud of. <laughs> um, okay, Megan, what is your pettiness this week? Oh, okay. So baseball has started and it's a full-blown disaster um, and it's going to end and that's fine. It's boring. Who cares? Um, but the, I really don't, baseball will cease to exist in like 50 years. We've, we're aging out of it. 
Um, everyone who likes it is dying and that's because it's boring. So what is happening that's fun though that I am going to miss is people being mean to the Astros is the greatest gift of pettiness that's happening right now. For those of you that <laughs> don't know, the Astros cheated like very aggressively and then won the World Series and baseball has been like, mm, we're not going to punish them. <laughs> and so people are making crybaby faces at them. Lots of funny memes. Like if you are tired of being angry at Trump and police and science deniers, let me tell you, get in on being angry at the Astros because it is a <laughs> gift that keeps on giving and they are like shocked that anyone is mad at them and behaving like such crybabies about it. It's really a joy and I just, I hope when baseball ends, being mean to the Astros is able to continue. <laughs> Grace Cara will fight you. Good. And you know what, Grace? I'm on the right side of history and I'll fight back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, baseball is not boring. It reminds me of... <laughs> I like I like baseball. Second of all, if the season ends this year, look, as a Twins fan, that would be very tragic for me because the Twins could actually do something this year, which is something we say every single year, but this year we really mean it. They could do something. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I, I agree with you on the Astros, though. Okay, Naomi, bring us home. So as you know, famously, I'm obsessed with watching Shark Week. Hulu has Shark Week from previous years. Now, one of my big problems with Shark Week is that sometimes they just don't have the material and will build a whole episode. Honey, I watched Shark versus Whale. I thought, my God, this is going to be intense. This man had five seconds of drone footage of a shark trying to bite a whale and made a meal of it. I said, this isn't it. You don't have it. You don't have the footage. And I just want some of these Shark Week producers... I get it. I get it. Apparently, Shark Week has been going on for 30 years. Think about the yeah. hours of shark content. It's really a lot of, like, it's desperate now. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we just make it a Shark Weekend, mm -hmm. all right? Maybe we make it a web series. You don't have the content. I watched, they have a show called Sharks and the City. No. Colon LA. Are they, are they having Cosmos? Thank you. I was like, is this shark a total Samantha? I was like, <laughs> what is going on? And I was like, you don't have the footage. You don't have the content. The sharks are not doing anything. And that is that is what I feel petty about. Shark Week, you need a to be a shark weekend. You got to mm -hmm. let the fuck go. And five seconds of drone footage is not a 42-minute program. They are really scraping the bottom of the bloody bucket now. I need the chum bucket. It's all chum. <laughs> yeah, you can't make a whole program out of chum. That's true. I... Um, <laughs> I was th I thought that your Shark Week grievance was going to come from the fact that Mike Tyson is in their promos this year. And I was like, what? It's okay for him to just be doing stuff? Well, guys, I got bad. I have bad news. <laughs> Everyone has forgotten about Mike Tyson. He's a convicted woman. rapist. Yeah. Convicted. convicted. He is like, sometimes I really feel like I'm in an alternate universe where his life started at the hangover right. and everyone has been men in black for everything <laughs> that came before it. I know. I know. It's so insane. But you know what? No, at first I was like, great, maybe the shark will kill him. But also knowing Shark Week, <laughs> knowing the programming, I know him and the shark are never near each other. It's going to be like, watch the force of a Mike Tyson punch and then you get in the water and look at the force of a shark headbutt or something. I know what they do. I know what they do. It's not going to be impressive. It's not going to be impressive. I'm not watching it. They don't have the footage. <laughs> okay. I got to, you know what? 
I'm going to take your word for that. Um, you don't watch Shark Week, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I went out on a I went out on a date one time with this guy who we went back to his house and all he wanted to do was watch footage of sharks jumping out of the water and eating seals. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to leave. <laughs> it was like it was one of those like I was like 23 years old, yeah. didn't know anything about the world, had probably lower self-esteem than I should have had. Uh, did not know my worth, and I like was like, sure, you goddamn loser, I'll go to your house with you. And he just wanted to watch footage of sharks eating animals, and I was like, no, I'm leaving. This isn't for me. Wow. Wow. Anyway, Megan, that's an, another whole thing for another time. Megan and Naomi, thank you so much for coming by and doing the whole show with me this week. Um, really, really grateful to you guys for doing that. Thanks to Representative Abby Finkenauer from Iowa for stopping by to chat with me about her work. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. <laughs>